0: All those who are holding tickets outside will get in as fast as they can. I'm speaking out to you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather they reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon.
1: One of the first lessons we were ever taught at school was the importance of sound. Let's say a film or video, no matter the medium in which it is shown has low resolution, an audience wouldn't flinch. When it comes to poor sound, it can pull you out of the experience. They notice little things like how the sound mixes off or how the sound is poorly recorded. Imagine you're sitting in front of a small screen and the sound is to the standards of a movie theater. You probably wouldn't feel a difference in how you take in that story. Now, if it was a large screen and a tiny speaker that you can barely hear any bass on, your body would say, what the hell is going on? This isn't right. So sound is important. It is probably the unsung hero of any cinematic experience. What also is unsung, but in fact sung, is the music of film. It adds contextual layers that enhance the audience's experience. There wouldn't be a semblance of grandiosity within the desert in Lawrence of Arabia without the iconic accompaniment by Maurice Jarre. You wouldn't feel the intense desire of Luke Skywalker's longing to escape Tatooine without the beautiful movement in which John Williams created. When he introduced musicals into the mix, there's added motivation to tell that particular story. From replicating the stage to singing on top of mountains as you emphatically sing the praises of the world around you, the audience is odd. Music goes hand in hand with sound, so it is appropriate that the second Best Picture winner would honor these aspects of filmmaking. Without the advancement of sound recording on film, the industry wouldn't have been able to forward itself like it did in the late 1920s. The Broadway melody became the evidence that music and sound could be recreated through a film. This opens up the opportunity for many filmmakers to come who embrace the challenges of a musical. So welcome to Worthy. Is the Broadway melody worthy of the 1928-29 Academy Award for Best Picture? welcome back to Worthy. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm John. And this week we're gonna be talking about the second Academy Awards that featured the second Best Picture winner, the Broadway Melody, uh, which is the first sound film to win that award. Uh, John has some background information that he wanted to talk about though, uh, just about sound and sound recording in Hollywood. In
0: 1927, the Warner Brothers made a movie starring a famous singer named Al Johnson. In this movie, the jazz singer, Al Johnson's character sang songs and in one scene he also talked and kidded with the woman who played his mother. Audiences really liked this scene, and the Warner Brothers realized that people did indeed want to hear the actors talk. The rest of Hollywood, too, finally realized that this was not just a fad, and they all now rushed into making movies with sound themselves. But it was hard to catch up. In order to make sound movies, you had to buy a lot of expensive new equipment for recording, and you had to find and hire people who knew how to use it. If your studio was in a noisy location, near traffic, or with airplanes flying overhead, you had to construct a special new building that would keep out all the noise. Some actors had funny sounding voices or heavy accents that made them hard to understand. Their voices would not work for sound movies, so new actors with good voices had to be found and turned into movie stars. Actors now had to memorize their lines ahead of time and stand still when they spoke to ensure that the microphones would catch the sounds of their voices. And the directors would no longer shout out instructions to the actors while the cameras were rolling. The microphones were very sensitive and could even pick up the whirring noise of the cameras. To keep that noise off the recording, the cameras and the cameramen were put inside special boxes that muffled the sounds. Cameramen sweated inside these boxes like turkeys being roasted in an oven, and they also complained that they weren't able to move the cameras around anymore since that too made unwanted noises. Everyone who worked to make these movies had to learn a whole new way to do their job when sound movies were made. Workers in the theater also had to relearn their jobs. Projectionists worked in a tiny booth way up high at the back of the theater, running the films through the projection machines that brought the films to life on screen. These men now had to operate phonographs as well as projectors, so their job became twice as difficult. Sometimes, when a record was played, the needle would skip or jump around in the groove and the synchronization between the sound and picture would be lost. If the sound no longer matched the picture, audience would angrily boo and stamp their feet until the projectionist fixed the problem. But if the projectionist's job became much harder, at least he still had a job. Theater musicians were not so lucky. When a theater installed a new sound system, it no longer needed the live musicians to perform from the pit each night. So all those men and women lost their jobs. A few lucky musicians in Hollywood who performed in the studios where the recordings were made were now heard by the moviegoers across the nation. All the other musicians had to find a new way to make a living. Audiences too had to change and adapt to the movies. They had to sit quietly in order to be able to hear the voices of the actors on screen. And people who were deaf or hard of hearing now struggled to understand the stories. Some theaters had special headphone sets to make the recording louder for people who couldn't hear well. Thomas Edison himself was very hard of hearing, so he might have used one of these devices as well. But most theaters didn't have them, and if a person were fully deaf, these headphones were of no help anyway. A deaf person might have been able to read the lips of the characters on screen if the actors had faced the camera when they spoke. But if the actor had turned away from the camera, there were no clues of what was being said, as there was no longer any titles to read. There wasn't as much body language to read either, since the actors had to stand still when they spoke. Sound movies had much less movement and action than silent films. And since they were mainly filled with scenes of actors talking, people began to call the new movies talkies. It was much harder for people who couldn't hear well to enjoy the talkies. Emily Thompson, Princeton University so ben i want to uh ask you a question after reading that yeah uh do you feel uh lucky as a moviegoer now and in, in the modern day
1: i wouldn't say i feel lucky but i definitely feel um i it's like a different experience like i'm i was taking it in differently than how it was so i don't feel like i would say i'm lucky it's just a different time and so it's interesting to like look back and and to hear that um to hear what, what you were just saying because it i wouldn't even pop in my mind that like For someone who is deaf or was hard of hearing that they would
0: really have a trouble adapting to sound movies and sound films to me the way that like the movies are talking is something that it's almost reflects what our industry is going through now or I don't really want to say our industry because we're not in the film industry but it's a constant changing medium and it's something that you kind of have to be on the edge of And I kind of think of the modern day transformation of not just green screen because we're kind of beyond that, but these new like uh, LCD walls or LED walls that are being built that kind of are creating brand new backdrops in film. It's just uh, the medium that just constantly changes and evolves and you just kind of have to keep up. But it is sad that there's that huge portion of the audience that's kind of like losing out on uh, being able to understand the pictures and. Uh, as time progresses well,
1: at, yeah at the time they were losing out but yeah. right now i i th- I think right now it's it's easily accessible as it exactly. was well i guess what silent films were before talkies uh, exactly
0: yeah they've made a lot of advances to like be able to uh, to listen and or at least uh be able to like see the actual dialogue of the film right uh, on camera
1: especially with the title cards
0: yeah you know that that helps you a lot
1: and and even thinking about body movement we sort of touched upon it last episode where you know, the actors had to rely upon their body movements within Wings or Sunrise to convey what they were feeling and their and their emotions and, and all that. And so it is really, it's really funny that that was taken away from a lot of actors and in a way that they couldn't even perform like how they normally would. And I know that a lot of actors who were silent film stars just lost out on all these opportunities because they just couldn't perform under the new standards. And just to kind of backtrack, like one quick point, you know, you talked about how the industry is adapting with a green screen or lcd panels to help with the backdrops the industry was clearly having to adapt with the with with talkies and using sound recording i mean you read that a lot of the camera operators and sound operators had to work within these tin boxes which i still i can't even picture it right now like what that would be like that they had to like sit in a box while filming but i guess that was part of the times and and the fact that the, I, mean, I guess the mics had to have been that strong to pick it up, but the fact that they even had that strong of microphones uh, is also pretty incredible. So it's just really interesting how the film industry is always adapting with new techniques and new ways of doing things. Um, and clearly it started in the
0: 1920s. Yeah. I was just thinking about how loud the cameras are. The, the constant spin of the reels was probably just so obnoxiously loud and just constantly being heard on films.
1: But it's like not even a worry today, though. I, I've never really had to encounter that where like the camera is. No,
0: cameras are dead silent now. That's yeah, why. but they still
1: have like pretty gigantic fans. They still are pretty noisy. But I guess yeah, we're talking like,
0: about huge like yeah. and red cameras, yeah, yeah. I'm but sure. then they
1: do the fans do stop when you start recording, They'll,
0: so like cool down the camera yeah, overall.
1: Yeah, but that's a it's totally outside of this discussion. <laughs> but, but anyways, but yeah, but the industry is clearly adapting at this point in time, and I think that's a great segue into the Broadway Melody because it shows and represents the advancements of the film industry um, with within 1928 and 1929. Um, and I think that it. And I think that's the main reason. We'll get into that uh, more, uh, but I think that's the main reason that we're going to take away from this for as to why it won, was because of what it represents, of how the industry has changed. And that's a very unique win because I don't think that really ever happens again in Oscar history where a movie is winning based on the advancement of technology rather than the merits of the film itself
0: it's something that's like so impressive that like that takes up the entire conversation i think i could see that i can't name like a specific film that would do that but i could definitely see in like other categories i feel like looking in the future now like special effects categories are very much kind of aligned in that
1: yeah and as soon as you said special effects the movie that came to mind was avatar and how that yeah. movie was just supposed One to be. One specifically. Yeah, once and it, people thought that that, at the time, was going to win Best Picture yeah. just because of the visual effects, which, if you look back on it now, are just, like, not that great compared
0: what? to... What? I don't agree with that. I still think they Have stand up. Have you
1: seen up. Avatar not on a big screen?
0: I mean, I've seen it on TV, so, yeah, yeah, I've seen it in 4K, yeah.
1: I don't know. I'm still... I'm not as impressed, and I, but that's also... We're uh, also it's like a decade old at this it point. Is a decade, uh, it is a decade old. Um, but, and I think that's the case of a lot of... just talking about special effects and and even just old movies where it's the technology seems to be really just out of touch with what we could have now but you also just have to remember like that's what they had at the time and at the time it looked really great and so at the time the Broadway melody came out it sounded great it looked great to everyone but was it actually great or was it actually worthy of the best picture winner
0: I think you'll see once uh, Avatar 2 comes out. <laughs> the <this>, uh, <this laughs> special in effects. In 2030? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah that will be good. But All the all the six sequels that are coming out for that movie. So jumping ahead now to
1: actually talk about the movie, um, one of the things that stands out when we're just talking about uh, the Academy Awards and the, what the movie won, it didn't win any other awards besides Best Picture. And that's only happened two other times. And those two other times were only in the 30s so it's a very it belongs in a very unique category of best picture winners where it was only recognized for just the one award now it's best picture
0: Broadway melody a pair of sisters from a vaudeville circuit try to make it big time on Broadway but matters of the heart complicate the attempt the all talking all singing all dancing film
1: singer-songwriter Eddie Kearns performs the Broadway melody in front of other Broadway writers he tells some chorus girls that he brought the vaudeville duo the Mahoney sisters to New York to perform with him in the latest review being produced by Frances Sandfield. Harriet Hank Mahoney and her sister Queenie Mahoney are awaiting Eddie's arrival at their apartment Hank, the older sister, prides herself on her business sense and talent, while Queenie is lauded for her beauty. Hank is confident they will make it big, while Queenie is less eager to put everything on the line to become a star. Hank declines the offer of their Uncle Jed to join a 30-week traveling show, but says she will think it over.
0: Eddie, who is engaged to Hank, arrives and sees Queenie for the first time since he was a young girl, and is instantly taken with her. He tells them to come to the rehearsal for Zanfield's review to present their act. Zanfield isn't interested in the duo but says he might have a use for Queenie who begs him to give Hank a part as well saying both will work for one wage. She also convinces him to pretend that Hank's business skills won him over. Eddie witnesses this exchange and becomes even more enamored of Queenie for her devotion of her sister. During a dress rehearsal for the review Zanfield says the pacing is too slow for the Broadway melody and cuts Hank and Queenie from the number. Meanwhile Another woman is injured after falling off a set prop and Queenie is selected to replace her. Nearly everyone is captivated by Queenie, particularly notorious playboy Jock Warner. While Jock begins to woo Queenie, Hank is upset that Queenie is building her success on her looks rather than her talent. Over the following weeks, Queenie spends a lot of time with
1: Jock, of which Hank and Eddie fervently disapprove. They forbid her to see him, which results in Queenie pushing them away and the deterioration of the relationship between the sisters. Queenie is only with Jock to fight her growing feelings for Eddie, but Hank thinks she's setting herself up to be hurt. Eventually, Eddie and Queenie confess their love for each other, but Queenie, unwilling to break her sister's heart, runs off to Jock once again.
0: Hank, after witnessing Queenie's fierce outburst towards Eddie and his devastated reaction to it, finally realizes that they are in love. She berates Eddie for letting Queenie run away and tell him to go after her. She claims to never have loved him, and she's only been using him to advance her career. After he leaves, she down and alternates between sobs and hysterical laughter. She composes herself enough to call Uncle Jed to accept the job with her 30-week show. There's a raucous party within the
1: apartment Jock had recently purchased for Queenie, but he insists that they spend time alone. When she resists his advances, he says that it's the least that she could do after all that he's done for her. He begins to get physical, but Eddie bursts in and attempts to fight Jock, who knocks him through the door with one punch.
0: Queenie runs to Eddie and leaves Jock and the party behind. Sometime later, Hank and Uncle Jed await the return of Queenie and Eddie from their honeymoon. The relationship between the sisters is on the mend, but there's obvious discomfort between Hank and Eddie. Queenie announces she's through with show business and will settle down in their new house on Long Island. She insists that Hank live with them when her job is over. After Hank leaves with her new partner and Uncle Jed, Queenie laments the fact that she wasn't able to help her sister find the happiness she deserves. Ironically, Hank's new partner is the blonde who tried to sabotage their act when the sisters first arrived in New York. The final scene shows Hank on her way to the train station. She promises her new partner that they'll be back on Broadway within six months. The Broadway Melody is directed by Harry Beaumont.
1: Written by Edmund Golding for the story, Norman Houston and James Gleason for dialogue, and Earl
0: Baldwin for titles for the silent version of this film. Produced by Harry Rapp, Irving Thalberg, and Lawrence Weingarten. Cinematography by John Arnold. Film editing by Sam Zimbalist. Recording engineer
1: Douglas Shear, sound technicians G.A. Burns, O.O. Cecherini,
0: Louis Cobb, and Wesley C. Miller. The main cast, Charles King as Eddie Kearns, Anita Page as Queenie Mahoney, Bessie Love as Hank Mahoney. So, Ben, I heard... um this uh, since you've watched every best picture winner now yes. I, I heard this is your favorite no <laughs> no 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 no. this is uh
1: this is the second to worst one <laughs> in my opinion uh when i when i first started watching all these movies i i had high hopes i had really high hopes that i was going to watch movies that really um transcended my expectations that pushed the limits that made me realize wow there's some really great old movies and i felt that way with wings and with sunrise and then i watched the broadway melody and i just was like whoa come on (laughs) it was to to give my brief overall feelings about it it was shit wow yeah it's it's really bad and we we when we were texting after you had watched it um, you were like, yeah, it was good after a certain point. And I said, well, is that certain point after the opening shot? Because I never <laughs> felt any part of this movie truly made me like it. There's from the story, which has so many flaws to the acting, to the technical parts of the movie. There are just so many wrong things about this movie. And I it just blew my mind of how bad something could be and when Best Picture. So I want to know what your general reactions now. Uh, On the Broadway melody.
0: Well, honestly, I think it's just very okay. I think when I look at the film, I really compare it to the time and the, kind of like the first year or two after they, uh, you know, had Al Johnson in the the jazz singer. I just think it's like a film that's still in progress. Like it felt very much like a film that was interrupted by the studio MGM, and it felt like very incomplete when it came to like it being produced as a film technically with sound being very incomplete as well as like the story is just very incoherent. And especially the pacing of the film is like all over the place. Like the way time is like translated throughout the film is utterly confusing. Like it it makes no sense. Yeah. It's very, very hard to follow. And it's funny. Like look back at those previous films and like you would, you didn't experience any of that. It was very coherent from point A to B. It was like, you knew how much time has passed this. It was just so incoherent
1: yeah it, it is interesting when you say like it was a work in progress um to, to just give a little backstory on the production it was like rushed through it, i think it was started production in like october of 28 and then in the beginning of 29 it was out so they like really rushed through it and they they when when you look back upon it they said like oh well, it was kind of ex- experimental in the sense that like we just got to see if we can actually do, do music yeah. music and sound mm-hmm. at the same time but i don't i i can't fully accept that because it was still (laughs) (laughs) viewed by so many people and still so many people liked it. I mean, it's the top grossing film of that year. Yeah. Which makes very little, it just makes very little sense as to why um, it did win. And, and I think that, and we mentioned before how it's one of three movies that only won best picture awards. And I, and I mean, I have to agree, like there's nothing really else about this film that would make me want to be like, well, that was actually really good. And that deserved, like that, deserves to win. Like, it. I just didn't feel like uh, any of the actors did anything. I didn't think their singing was good. I didn't think their dancing and choreography <laughs> was good. Um, and not just not to like shit all over the movie, but I just found it very disappointing. Especially when you get to put into the context of best picture
0: winners. If someone were like, would you recommend watching it? Like, go through the list of all the things that happened in the movie and the technical aspects, and I would probably say just no, there's not a really good reason. Unless you specifically want to see like a moment in time that's you're a really big fan of Broadway or you're a really big fan of like the 20s and the kind of like vaudeville like experience of the 20s and the way women dress and the way men are like talking in that very East Atlantic accent, like, unless you're like die hard for that kind of like style it's natural here because that is the exact time of what happened. It's not like wings where it's like a war film. So you kind of have that aesthetic going for it. And it's not like the beauty and like the insane technical aspects of sunrise. It's just, it's a mess technically. And the story is just as much of a mess.
1: Yeah. I I just don't know what, I don't know anyone our age who might be, (laughs) who who is into Broadway and would want to actually watch this because it's not necessarily the Broadway that, like the modern version of Broadway. It's not that. It's a, it is vaudeville acts. It's a lot of smaller acts put together into one show. It, and it's not the complete story of, a, of what you would typically see on Broadway. So it's, an, it's not like a show. It's just like mini episodes or performances. So it's like a different form of Broadway. And even this as a musical is just a different form of musical. And I know it didn't have anything to base it off of, but it's very bare bones. And its approach and i and i said this to you before uh that when i watch a musical i expect something big i expect expect lots of choreography i expect lots of movement i mm-hmm. expect camera shots set design uh, color i expect so much just because that's what i'm used to and and granted this is black and white so there's not going to be the color aspect sure. but there's there's no camera movements at all for any of the performances they're just straight on like shots and even then a lot of the characters fall out of frame like the main characters in one of their performances just fall right out of frame and you're it it's like how did that pass who who watched that daily cut and was like oh yeah that's fine
0: well i think that was why it was important to kind of set up the history and the kind of movie going experience but as well as the production to like get a good understanding of I think it's so static because these cameras could barely move I think like it was more important to get the audio than it was to even like film the actors so that was almost like secondhand it was like did we get that good take on audio like did we hear him singing did we like hear it peeking? no we're good okay we move on like it's yeah. more important to get these aspects done and I think when you look at the film overall it's it's really bare bones, and I think you look back, it's like so cliche, so many things are fucking happening in the movie. Yeah, But it did probably set up a groundwork and establish what musicals can be and kind of like a framework to lead into those cliches moving forward. Yeah,
1: and to challenge that a little bit about with the sound and actually recording it, because I actually felt that the dialogue was, it wasn't mixed the best, but I felt that it actually was captured pretty well and mm-hmm. you could hear them singing. So I just don't understand like why they couldn't, necessarily move the cameras i mean maybe i wasn't back there we weren't back there in 1928 while i was filming but it just felt like there could have been more and again like we weren't there we don't know how the productions truly went we're just reading off of what people are writing about and when our research. but it definitely feels like there could have been more and they didn't do it they just did it just to say like here here's a musical this is a, this is sound this is music on film wow look at this technology look at these at these advancements and when, when then when we talk about how that then compares to a silent film i would feel almost disappointed as a goer because i'd be like this is what's being replaced like i had a live orchestra in front of me and all these like cool sound effects that you could do inside the theater and now we're just left with this it just feels very unsatisfying
0: i feel like but at the time though it was probably fascinating and i think that's why in the opening scene it opens up with like four or five different kind of music not acts but they're all like just music playing at the same time to set people up to be like this is about to be like a barrage of sound like you're not ready for this like this is what the whole film is going to be
1: and yeah and i think that's the difference between us watching it now and then probably experiencing it it yeah experiencing back then is we know what sound movies are like
0: yeah yeah, we have the idea so yeah it's tough for us to judge exactly do you have like a particular scene that I know you're not a big fan of the movie, but a particular scene that at least stand out to you or stood out to you or you enjoyed.
1: Yeah, I think the the first scene that I really wanted to talk about, um, and this probably has to go into just Queenie
0: as a character in general. Oh, we can get into Queenie for sure. Yeah,
1: uh, because the actress who played Queenie, uh, Anita Page, who is supposedly this great silent film actress, Actress. was yeah, she successfully made that transition, and it was just not good. She's just not (laughs) just not good and so the scene that i wanted to talk about first was the scene in which everyone notices queenie for the first time where she replaces uh the the actress who got hurt and just to set that up this is what happens the actress that she replaces which is standing on a set on a boat like on a it was on a boat and she just falls and it's like you don't know why yeah you don't know why she just falls over yeah so you're like okay like that sucks and so queenie just stands Queenie like literally just stands there with her like arm up in the air mm. still, and everyone's like talking as if they just watched like
0: Madonna just perform for the first time. <laughs>
1: it was uh, they like their jaws. Everyone's jumped. obsessed with her. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, look at the hey, talent. Was she, I was like, she just stood there.
0: Yeah, it makes no sense on a story level because there's no story developed. Like, if it was a line or a role that she had to like deliver a big line and she did really well and it was like impressive, then I could see it. But. In a story structure, it she literally stands there. She's, like, supposed to be, like, the mermaid on the edge of the boat, kind of, yeah. like, showing the the significance of the boat, but she literally does nothing. And even more so, technically, they don't even, like, show her after she gets up into position, and then they, like, barely cut back to her. Right,
1: right. <laughs> it's and, so weird. Uh, and, and, th- and that's where I have issues with, like, the cinematography, where it, it's just these stagnant shots. There's no, like, coverage. So there's yeah. a lot of, like, almost one takes of a lot of these scenes. Definitely. And yeah. you don't see reactions at all so and I have to go back to the, like Queenie and her just standing there uh, That that's what represents some of the disgusting parts of Hollywood where it's like these actresses got by based on the horniness of the men who viewed were them. around them. Yeah, and the
0: producers that were like pushing those women. Yeah,
1: exactly. And you know, you find out through the whole story that like all people just care about is Queenie's looks. They don't actually all they care
0: about is fucking. Literally, yeah. this the whole fucking movie is about. Is it. yeah. just a man wanting to fuck different women. Exactly. Like,
1: it's it's just it's the, how can I get this girl? Like how can I use my position of power to to get this girl to <laughs> do something? Yeah. And, no,
0: literally, and then
1: just say, oh, but I helped you get there. Now you have to sleep with me. And we're and this is 2020. We're at a time where we're trying to eradicate that. And and again, like this is the movie that represents what's wrong with Hollywood. And, yeah, and not in a satirical way. In a very like, like this is just how honest. It is kind of way. Yeah, like yeah.
0: The, like deal with it. This is the way the system works. Yeah, I I was so confused by her character, especially because Eddie, who is this like quick-witted, super like smart and witty Isn't character. He super smart. Well, we'll get to that <laughs> because in the first 20 minutes, I think Eddie is fucking. Awesome. Not Eddie, sorry. Hank. Hank is quick witted. She's really quick. She's like quick on her feet. She's kind of like the talking head for the two women. Like Queenie's pretty silent, kind of sits in the back while Hank is like the leading girl. But her character, like, we'll talk a little bit further into it, but she just like dissolves basically. Like she kind of deteriorates. And the difference between the way men look at Hank and the way men look at Queenie is so drastic in the film. They like want you to look at Queenie as like this goddess, and then they want you to look at Hank. As like a troll, like this like girl that no one fucking cares about.
1: Yeah, even though she just is, again, quick-witted, smart, and is able to, in a way, produce the, the Mahoney sisters to just be a good act. And that's not, it shouldn't take away, like her looks have nothing to do with it. It should just be based on their performances and stuff, which isn't great. It's not good performances.
0: I think Hank is great. But, in the first like act of the film right
1: but are you talking about her actual acting or her singing performance because if you think about the Mahoney sisters what they're singing and like their tap dancing it's pretty bad
0: well here's the thing there's multiple scenes of that but every time it happens it's I can't tell if the film is trying to sh- say that they're bad or that like they're not working together as like a partner You Actually, know what I mean
1: yeah no I see what you mean and I think that I think that the people are supposed to think that they're actually good, but that just Queenie stands out more just based on her looks
0: Looks, and that's all that matters. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so, but then when you're actually watching the movie and like you're seeing this for for the first time, they're out of sync. Their movements aren't the yeah. same. The tap dancing doesn't really work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so I, you would get that impression of like, oh, maybe they're not good, but I actually think that people said that they are good and believe that they were good.
0: It's so hard to tell. Cause you really can't tell the intention behind it. And, the way that people are obsessed with Queenie based on purely her looks, like, I just don't... It's her looks because she's taller and she's blonde. Those well, are the so only Hank, two Hank, reasons. I, well, then, it's just because she's tall, then? Like, the women guess, look very similar. They're they sisters. Do. They look so similar. Like, they're very casted well to be sisters. But what makes Queenie so much more it's, attractive to it's people? A
1: shallow, it's a shallow look. And, and, and again, like, going back, it's just what's wrong and it's what's wrong with Hollywood. It's just so bad and just in bad taste. <laughs> I, it 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 truly is, and that, and that's what's really frustrating about watching the movie.
0: Well, I at least say some positive things. I like do think that um, we don't get really much singing from Hank, but the singing that we do get from Eddie, who was supposed to be like a big star at the time, I actually enjoy it. Like, especially the Broadway Melody song, and I do enjoy. Um, the song that he shares with Queenie later on in the film is then carried on through like Singing in the Rain and kind of a cliche that's used throughout yeah. musicals.
1: It's, it's, yeah, it, it, is a, it is a musical number that is then uh, done uh, over and over again. Like it's brought back up into many other uh, musicals. So I'll give it credit for that. But that's just one aspect. And, and even that, talking about the music itself, I don't think as a musical... It didn't really help to tell the story. It was just like s- these small performances to break it up. Yeah, but then when you put it into like the context of singing in the rain, you know he's, oh is it Gene Kelly is, is singing it to um I'm blanking on the actress's name right now, and he but he's singing it to her like in this in the studio setting. And there's like there's a lot of motivation to tell it that, you know there's a lot more thought put into it for you were meant for me. Whereas this, it was just like Eddie holding Queenie's hand.
0: Well. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of the bare bones setup of the musical. And I think there is motivation because he is in love with her. But in the actual story, it makes no fucking sense. Like he just hasn't seen her since she was a little kid. And now he sees her and immediately falls in love with her just because she's hot. Right. And he immediately is like, screw my like wife to be, my fiance, because this woman is more attractive. Even though it's her sister, doesn't matter. She's more attractive. So
1: Yeah, yeah so that brings up two questions for me is... So when's the last time he saw Hank? And then how old are Hank and Queenie supposed to be?
0: B. Yeah. Why are they so separated? They look pretty similar in yeah. age. It doesn't make any sense because they don't want to explain it. But they just want to use it as a story point.
1: You would think that, oh, you know, I'm engaged to the he's engaged to <laughs> Hank. He's engaged and he hasn't seen her sister, sister that she does in lot, years. That she has acts with, she just performances with in years. That it it yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's like these weird little plot holes which is really frustrating when you're trying to take in a, a movie that you're told is the best picture winner and the story is really poor and has all these holes in it.
0: I do want to talk about one particular scene uh, regarding the bellboy uh, or the person who kind of carries their luggage in in the very beginning when they get to their like new apartment. Um, for some reason, this just really struck out to me. I think specifically because I love Home Alone and I love the scene where... Uh, the bellhop is asking for money and Kevin McAllister, just obviously a kid just hands him like a dollar or something like that. That's always a scene that I've like loved in that movie. And it was like really funny to see that kind of reference that I guess kind of became a cliche. Like I think throughout like film history from this point on, you see that a lot more like the service staff kind of playing for money as like a joke.
1: Yeah. Maybe that was in another movie beforehand. Before
0: that. I don't know. I don't know. Definitely the earliest film that I've ever seen with that particular moment. And it does come back and play where the, uh, um, I think Eddie like gives him money or something like that. He like finally gets like a good amount of money later <laughs> on in the scene. It's like the only complete story in this entire fucking movie is the <laughs> bellhop, literally.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it, it's a that's a fun little little thing. I mean and I think that might be like again what we're talking about, like the good parts of the movie. It's like the beginning is like like that's probably the only like funny thing that happens is the bellhop just being like, Yeah, can I have some more money please for all the shit you just ordered?
0: Yeah, it's there's really not many funny parts in this movie. There's like but even a that, even beginning. that's a confusing thing because are they in a hotel? <laughs> are they in a hotel or at <laughs> yeah, their apartment? Because they go back to
1: that at the end, and, and it's like, okay, like we still in the hotel? Are we in? Are you guys treat like an apartment? It's really weird. And it's just a really weird setup. And again, maybe it's because we're not from that time. We don't understand like how like all that was structured. But it definitely feels like there's some weird inconsistencies well, with how things are structured in the world
0: there's just not a lot of establishing shots in the film. So it's like so hard to tell where characters are at certain points. And like the only establishing shots is literally just New York. It's like the film opens up and it's just like a plane or not a helicopter because they obviously didn't exist then, but like (laughs) a plane probably holding a camera just showing like the city, but it's very shaky. You could like barely kind of see what's going on. And then it just goes into the two characters and introduces them. And the film ends with like the same similar thing. It's like them leaving New York City, yeah. basically. I think it's like Times Square. Times Square, yeah. yeah. Like the show, which is cool to see Times Square in like almost a hundred years ago. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah. No. I, yeah, that is cool, but it just doesn't do it enough. And again, when we're talking about the shots of the film. There's just like not enough like coverage. There's not enough ways that they set everything up. It's just like room to room, just like the generic sets that you expect out of any old Hollywood movie and. And when we're talking about expectations and like going into this, like I wanted more and I got nothing.
0: Well, speaking of sets, it's like a a lot of the film is like behind the scenes backstage. So it's so boring. It's like blank walls. Like you don't really see much. There's no like design or really texture to any of the backgrounds. Even the big elaborate, like, musical moments it's like almost a rehearsal it's like why would you choose to have the rehearsal as like the musical numbers it makes no fucking sense yeah i don't get it you know
1: i I, it it is funny you say like that because it does feel like a rehearsal it just feels sloppy and again like maybe it's just because it was filmed really quickly yeah i mean it looks like a rehearsal but it shows
0: also in the film it's like not the actual final show it's like they're rehearsing for the final show, like in front of the investors.
1: That. Yeah, you never see that final show. Yeah,
0: no, it just ends before they ever even get to that moment. Yeah, and then even the shot, the shot composition, besides characters falling
1: off screen, there is nothing in the background. So it, sometimes it's just like, just a, a floating head with like nothing in the background, and you're, you're like, why is this visually appealing? <laughs> and even like then the sound that accompanies it is just not good. The, the, and we haven't really even touched more upon the actual like sound design of the film is bare bones it there's a ton of missing audio and there's like no room tone so typically like when you watch a movie and there's like silence there's still like some sound of like, the background of, like yeah. ambient noise and yeah like there's a lot of, like room. you don't
0: notice it so it's good you know yeah
1: you don't know yeah exactly but the fact that it's missing it it's, it's jarring it's pretty jarring and and it's almost, and again like when you're representing sound this is not a good representation of it
0: I th- I'm assuming when they were making it, it's either time or they just didn't really fully think that it would sound so drastically different. Yeah. And it was like for scenes where there was no dialogue, especially like close-up scenes where like characters are reacting, like Hank and Eddie's kind of like reaction shots. There's just no audio, so it's like such a jarring cut. Shows their close-up and then back to like it being audio. Yeah. Takes you out every time.
1: It it does. It really does take you out every time. So it's just not an enjoyable like fluid experience when you're taking it in. Um, but actually, one one scene, one shot uh, that we should talk about its kind of cool was the number for the uh, wedding of the painted doll was actually a colored sequence. They actually filmed that in color using, uh, I think it was red and green filters, but that's lost. Um, so you have to find like YouTube videos to kind of see a recreation of that. Yeah,
0: there's supposed to be like three different versions of this film, which is kind of a common trend that we're seeing, like with films being restored that are like close to like 100 year. old. Uh, old point they're just being restored and maybe they're losing certain parts because they found a certain cut that's different uh like whether it's an international audience or the the local audience here in the u.s it's it's hard i guess to restore these films and find the exact version that people saw in 1928
1: or 29 yeah yeah which is unfortunate and it's just luckily we live in the digital age where none of that that anything we record isn't going to be lost but yeah we are it's unfortunate we have lost a lot of great moments of, of cinema just due to time and age. But what it did capture and what is still on the film for this movie is Anita Page's just awful performance. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I, all three <laughs> of the main actors are not great. I think we agree that uh, Bessie Love, who played Hank, is probably definitely the, the, best the best part of the whole Yeah, movie. it was the best part. But uh, Charles King, who played Eddie, is very stereotypical. And actually, the studio like really – banked on him becoming a bigger star and he signed like a big contract i think after this film and then he never really panned out but anita page's performance uh let's talk about that for a little bit i know we talked about how people loved her in as queenie just for her
0: looks well it makes you like stare at her so much because everyone in the film's just obsessed with her everyone is like wants to have sex with her everyone just wants to be around her wants her in all these films or on broadway all these different acts and but it's just like there's no proper reason of why people like her so much, other than she's beautiful, which they say yeah. hundreds of times she, in this movie. She's beautiful, but and yeah, she just has no personality.
1: As like, a, as there's a, literally nothing else about n- there's her. There's nothing about her. She, there's no personality. Her emotional, she has the like emotional depth of a twelve-year-old at times.
0: Well, that's the problem with the film. It like sets up these characters, and you're like expecting kind of like a dynamic relationship, and maybe the love triangle. You can kind of see it, especially the first time that Eddie meets Queenie but they it just like falls apart it's like there was a different film here that just never yeah. got made it becomes so just a man constantly going after the woman whether it's Eddie or the other rich jock. producer jock yeah the other rich producer and it's there's just that's literally half the film is just them trying to get queenie to have sex with them
1: yeah it it's it's
0: just such bad it's in poor taste it so much misogyny misogyny <laughs> even with with Hank it's like you think that she's kind of a strong character she's like the head for the two girls and the sister acts of the Mahoney's. but but even she, her, she like, falls her,
1: off yeah her whole character falls off she can't really collect herself at and i don't know if that that was intended or if they just like didn't like fully flesh out the character but you just feel like that sh- there should be more to her and the way that she like so Easily comes to the
0: conclusion of like, okay, Eddie, you have her. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: you have her. It's like, it's like, wait, do you not love Eddie? Like, yeah, like where? That's what's
0: most annoying because you just don't know what the film's trying to say. Like, you don't know if like Hank actually loves him or if she was being serious when she said like, I've only used you to get this far in my career, which
1: I don't think was true. I don't think it's true at all that she like used him.
0: I just can't tell because she. When she, like, reacts to, like, them sending off, she's, like, crying and laughing. It's, like, what does that mean? It means she's... It, like, just feels like she's psychotic at that point. Like... Yeah. You just... I just don't know if she actually, like, loves Eddie or not or if this really was just all an act. Yeah. I I don't know. That that whole, like, scene where she's,
1: like, sobbing and laughing really, like... It, it felt like, okay, like... They told, like, <laughs> Bessie Love there. Just, like, okay, Bessie. Just sob okay now laugh okay now do it both at the same time we'll just see which one works the best
0: i yeah i don't know because it was like a good performance like i like bought it but i just didn't understand why and like what she was even trying to say so maybe it is a bad performance because i just couldn't yeah understand what she was trying to portray
1: that's why i I think it's a bad performance i think it's just very it, it it tries to fit this like archetype of like that if a woman can't if she's not beautiful and she's just like, just plays the game of just playing her looks, then she just has to be strong headed and is too emotional and can't put it together. And it's like, that's not how it works. It's not, um, that's not how characters and people are they're, they're so much more, they're more complex. Yeah. There's, there's more, yeah, there's more complexity to that. So the fact that they I, like that, and that's how it feels like sometimes with a lot of, of like old movies that I've seen that I was like disappointed by that. I didn't want to have with this movie was that people, especially women get boxed into these like characters and these stereotypes of like, you can only be like one or two things and those one or two things are don't make you look good.
0: Well, before we move off of the actors, I specifically want to talk about one performance, yeah. um, which is uncle Jed. Uh, he's not a huge part of the film, um, but he is prominent enough to be featured multiple times. And he's very specific as he has like a stutter, yeah and he constantly has this like stopping stuttering throughout the performance and it's just constantly played as a joke like uh, from the very beginning even the sisters are making fun of him
1: yeah it's something that's in that's in poor taste and uh, i mean i'm almost stuttering even talking about (laughs) it but it it, because everyone has that like flaw and and that uh, deficiency and the fact that and, and that's also used a lot in level of old movies where people who are considered dumb or goofy just stutter, stutter and stutter because of it yeah. and and i think when when i was like researching upon it is like that was just a, a stereotype for a lot of comedians it was like the comedians couldn't even pull off their own jokes so they were just like oh ha they're just stuttering and standing upon stage I, I, again that just feels like in such bad taste like it's just pointing fun at someone that doesn't need to be pointed fun at whether the actor had a stutter or not, but it just, feels I don't think like very,
0: so. It felt very forced. It and, did not yeah. feel natural at all. And it was like certain words are so predominant, like predominantly like stretched out yeah. for no reason. That's the most annoying part. If you're going to give someone a stutter or some specific, um, like character trait, at least like bring it into the story, have it be some significance. It's literally just to like make him more memorable or just to have some more jokes because he stutters. Yeah.
1: Like, and it's only memorable because you're like, I feel bad,
0: and it's offensive. It's just yeah. like, damn! I feel so bad if anyone like actually had a stutter and watched this. It just feels like you're gonna be made fun of just because yeah. you have this. Yeah,
1: but none of the other men in the movie have any flaws. <laughs> no, literally movie. not. Yeah. They're perfect, and yeah. you should have sex with them because they have a lot of money and they're <laughs> successful. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think actually the only character that doesn't do that is uh, Zanfield, who's actually a supposed to be a representation of Florence Ziegfeld, which is the 19, which is the basis of a character for the 1936 Best Picture winner, The Great Ziegfeld, which is actually an actual Broadway producer. Um, so it's kind of funny how they, like, add all that in. And even the Jock Warner character is supposed to be, like, Jack Warner, who MGM and Warner Brothers did not like each other. So that was probably thrown in there for, as, like, kind of a, you know. little inside. Yeah, a little yeah. inside joke. But, yeah, it's just, there's just so many, like, things that are done in, like, poor taste in the movie and it's really hard to accept it as putting the collective of other best picture winners
0: well why do you think it was so popular supposedly it made a profit of like 1.6 million dollars for mgm at the time why did people love this movie so much
1: they probably only they probably loved it because it was a musical and musical definitely music is a is a big thing uh especially when before we had phones before we had computers before we had a lot of the technology we have today like music was the biggest source of like entertainment and a lot of like the golden age of cinema uh, that people like to refer to featured a lot of musicals you know like singing in the rain um was just part of this whole era of hollywood where uh, music was a big part of it so i i think that's why it was so loved and, and why it won um but i actually do have another reason why it could have won. So the Academy Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences was founded or in part helped founded by Louis B. Mayer, who's the head of MGM.
0: Yeah. So do you think <laughs> maybe, just
1: maybe, conspiracy theory here, they threw him a bone and were like, okay, we didn't want to give you the first Best Picture award because we we're still kind of feeling it's, it out. But we're gonna give you the next one like yeah. this is yours because you coming. you helped to found this whole uh this whole uh, academy and ah and, uh, it's and that and we're gonna get into a little bit more uh with Mary Pickford who won best actress that year because it just feels like like the politics of the of
0: the academy like really played its hand in the in this year I think it definitely speaks for the Oscars for sure when we talk about all the other winners and you'll see like more patterns throughout it but that's not the reason why I'm it won or not won but why it was so popular why it made so much money and why people were talking about it
1: yeah I, I think I, I gave a conspiracy theory as to why it would have won but I think yeah it's just popular because it's a musical it's, it's sound, just new it's you know? new
0: everyone's like oh my god like look at that isn't that incredible the way Wings was like a spectacle like they've never seen a war film like that it, Exactly. This just they've never seen a musical it's like they're taking this vaudeville performance that everyone's so used to but like seeing the magic of it on a screen yeah. you know just like how Avatar blew everyone's minds with mm-hmm. visual effects you know what Jake Sully, very in-depth character. Yeah. Okay. No,
1: it is. It is. But <laughs> but I, it is where I can't think of another advancement that we could possibly make outside of like jumping up the frame rate of films.
0: That would. Which, yeah, we can get to.
1: <laughs> yeah, which like we, it's been done. But anyways, but it just feels like this is the next big step in film. It. Everyone always talks about, when you're about film history, the jazz singer in 27 being this breakthrough because it had sound on film. And now we're we're entering into that era, which is why sound is important. It can do a lot for you. And the sound in this movie, the music in this movie just really falls flat. (laughs) It just falls flat. But before we, I guess we got into our actual ratings of the movie, let's get into the actual Academy Awards of that year.
0: So the show took place on Thursday, April 3rd, 1930, at the Coconut Grove of the Ambassador Hotel, uh, which was honoring movies released from August 1st, 1928, to July 31st, 1929. And instead of 12 categories, like the first Academy Award, it was reduced down to seven categories.
1: That's such like an odd number, just seven categories.
0: There's something nice about seven, though. Why there it's not Eight. But
1: also, it just feels like there should be more. And also, I mean, right now we're at 24 categories, I think, at this point in time. So it, it, it's for a lot of other reasons why there wasn't more. But just the fact they narrowed it down um, feels a little odd. But there, there's one huge change that we should well, – there's a lot of changes. But the biggest change was the elimination of unique and artistic picture, which would have, I guess, continued, which helped Sunrise win. Um, at least a spotlight for Sunrise, yeah, yeah definitely. Was, yeah, it gave spotlight, gave Sunrise a spotlight, but so now we're in this point of history where they say, okay, well now only Wings is the first best picture winner, so now Broadway Melody is the second best picture winner. So it's really interesting of how like that's a huge change with this award ceremony, and now it's only one film that
0: gets recognized uh, as being the best picture of the year. So along with removing the best artistic picture, we have uh, the removal of. Best directing comedy and best directing dra- drama, so it's no longer split like you would see in like the Golden Globes nowadays. Right, and it's just simply best directing.
1: Yeah, there was no more best engineering effects, uh, which is the only other award that Wings won for. So that was completely
0: elim- eliminated. No more best writing adaptation or best writing original story, simply the best writing award. How do you how do you feel about that? Because I I I don't really love that cuz I guess also cuz we're used to best adapted screenplay and best original screenplay but it just feels yeah we're definitely it, used it, to it cuz like as long as we've been alive basically that's been the categories for it yeah um it's odd it's almost like them saying that they want to kind of get away from and really stick with talkies especially the fact that they removed like the title writing
1: but is the screenplay a representation of talkies or because it really the screenplay is the story which you still get in a silent movie so the fact that they took that away so they had it right the first year so i don't understand i don't maybe i don't know what went on the room to make that decision but i just understand that thought process to take it away
0: yeah i do understand it's like a difference between the two and i don't know i just think they wanted to like maybe shine on the specific writing as it's maybe they're focusing more on like original stories and they didn't even think they needed it it could just been like a year decision whether like there's really like one film that was based on a, a like adaptation right so we don't need two different categories it could be just something they're like we can change this year by year
1: yeah which does happen um some other things uh, it was also best writing for title writing, so the title cards was discontinued from that year, um, and they also introduced a sealed envelope system, which is what we still
0: use today. The uh, second Academy Awards was also unique, as there was no like official nominations, uh, and no nominees were really like notified. Yeah, and well, I, I think that's where we should talk about this. The
1: the actress who did win was Mary Pickford, who going back to my conspiracy theory about Louis b Mayer and him getting tossed a bone for the broadway melody is she helped to found the the academy and she's the only one that knows that she was nominated to win you know for best actress and she campaigned and won so again it plays into that like politics hand uh, yes, of the so award ceremony
0: as you said best actress winner is mary pickford and coquette as norma Bisan, best art direction the bridge of san Luis ray cedric gibbons Best writing, The Patriot, Hans Craley. Cinematography, White Shadows in the South Seas, Clyde Davina. Best actor, Warner Baxter, in Old Arizona as the Cisco Kid. Best direction, Frank Lloyd, The Divine Lady.
1: Yeah, Frank Lloyd is a is an interesting for it's an interesting winner for a few reasons. Because one, because he won for best director, and and The Divine Lady wasn't nominated for. Uh, best picture um, but also he would then go on to direct two future best picture winners uh, that he didn't win best director for but it was for cavalcade in 1933 and mutiny on the bounty in 35 so just a name just to keep in mind when we get to those movies because uh, clearly now we're starting to see a path that where some people who get to become those typical oscar you know, filmmakers like you're typically typically going to see Martin Scorsese movies as Oscar bait movies. You're typically going to see De Niro <laughs> the nominated. Uh, you can list off any big name, Meryl Streep, whatever, Daniel D. Lewis. The, it, I think it starts to, sh- it's like the precursor, like Frank Lloyd. Oh, that's a guy that
0: we're going to start respecting his movies as like best picture winners. Uh, so just an interesting guy to keep in mind. And then, of course, we have Outstanding Picture, the Broadway Melody. So I, you mentioned Mary Pickford winning as she's the wife of the president of Ampass, and she was also the only actress since there was no nominees. No one really even knew um, what was going to be presented at these awards, but she still met with judges over tea and uh, kind of lobbied for herself for this role. So I think we're beginning to understand a little bit how the Academy changes. At first, it uh, was a, just kind of a representation of cinema and the great new art form that was kind of like, slowly developing at the time, but we're starting to see that it's kind of becoming something that we're just pushing films, pushing actors or actresses uh, in order to get more money, more attention.
1: I don't know if you'd get more money, but definitely more attention.
0: Well, nowadays when you win an Oscar it's like predominantly pushing the film and yeah. it's going to get re-released. Back then, films are constantly like just out in rotation for like a year. Yeah. You know, you'd only see like three or four films in, in, at a time. Um, throughout the year. So it's a little different. Yeah. So, yeah. So Mary Pickford kind of played the game a little bit. But another, um,
1: and because we didn't actually know the nomination list, so what the Academy now presents as the nominees for that year or from Judge's Notes uh, that did pick the uh, awards. But Bessie Love as Hank Mahoney in the Broadway Melody was nominated. And the only other nomination for the Broadway Melody was for Best Director. So, John, do you feel like either one of those should have won for Broadway Melody? Should. Like, do you think that it could have had some merit for winning? And even though we don't know all the other movies from that year, but do you think maybe it had some merit to win those awards?
0: Yeah, I think it's hard to say. I haven't really seen any other films that were nominated here. I do think like Bessie loves portrayal in the film and acting is probably the best in the entire film. And she has that quick witted like vaudeville style and her dancing and singing is kind of not as great as her actual acting, but I don't know if I would consider that like best actress of the year no yeah i i wouldn't consider it and there are
1: some really powerful performances um by actresses over the years and this one was just especially nominated ones there's some really great ones and this one is just just not good
0: (laughs) disgust it would be fascinating to watch like every nominated film um of every year hey Um, season two of worthy (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that would be the longest process of trying to watch every nomination but it is possible and maybe we will get there yeah maybe we
1: will Okay, but now let's give some general just our yeah. ratings and how we feel um, about the movie. So I give the movie a, tw- a strong, loud 25 out of 100.
0: <laughs> yeah, so out of 100, I would give it a solid uh, 30. So not too much higher. I think the smaller aspects that I enjoyed more is uh, like her in the very beginning and kind of the setup. I could see where the kind of film was going, but then it kind of fell apart and did uh had all those horrible elements that we discussed earlier yeah and i think that the reason i gave it i still gave it some number (laughs) rather
1: than a zero Zero, was just because i i do have to admit that it is impressive that they were able to get sound on film like i as someone who aspires to be a filmmaker as someone who's a cinephile like i i love like knowing all the production aspects so i do give a big kudos that they were able to do it but it doesn't mean they did it well Yeah, especially when you
0: compare it moving forward, looking back on it, yeah.
1: Exactly. So some other numbers we can throw out there. The Rotten Tomatoes percentage for it is a 35. So 35% of Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it uh, a fresh rating, which is not good. Uh, And the average ratings of those uh, critics for Rotten Tomatoes is a 5.23 out of 10. The audience percentage is a 21. And the audience average score is a 2.59 out of 5. And IMDb gives it a 5.7. And again, it won no other Academy Awards. So just to give some averages, now we only have two movies uh, on us. So my average rating now for Best Picture winner is a fifty two and a half. John, you have a strong 55. Uh, and Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage is sitting at 64. So uh, Broadway Melody really brings it down <laughs> when we're talking about contextualizing and putting everything together. But again, it's only two movies that we've, reviewed or two award ceremonies that we've reviewed so far so not a very strong showing um, for best picture winners yeah
0: certainly not I think when I was doing some research I remember seeing um, the original reviews from 1929 were really applauding the film I mean not only was it so popular amongst the audiences but the critics that I saw were in love with the film they thought it was amazing it was a step forward so I think that really is the overall takeaway from the film is that you know films age differently over time the way the culture ages the way that women are treated in this film the way the the stuttering is treated like these are all things that slowly age and just look horrible they look so bad against the film but there's that technical merit that may look bad now that was probably pretty astonishing for the time yeah and 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 those reviews that were positive back then i think have been retroactively taken back yes definitely yeah i remember even seeing roger ebert talking about that in particular as well so things change the
1: world changes but for a representation of sound and film in 1928, this is not the best example. So, John, would you recommend people
0: go to see this movie? Or maybe not, just leave it home. If you love The Great Gatsby, yeah, you should check this out. <laughs> Other than that, uh no, don't check this yeah. out. And I, I think that if you're following along to this podcast
1: and you want to check it out yourself, go ahead. Knock yourself out. You're not going to be amazed. <laughs> so we have to ask that question is Broadway melody worthy of the
0: Academy award for best picture for 1928 and 29. Again, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can say no or not. Cause I just haven't seen every nominee. Yeah. I'm going to give an emphatic. No. <laughs> I, 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 to me, to me, this is not worthy. Uh, when
1: we put it all together, when everything is, when we look at all I, right now, it stands at 92 best picture winners. This one is just not, not one I would say is worthy
0: of, being in that being in that group being in the group and looking back at it now and like seeing the other films that I have seen and comparing it to Broadway Melody I would say no but knowing the films in the context of those nominations that year I don't know if I can say no okay and that's fair yeah it's fair to say so I think that's it for this
1: episode uh, thank you for listening uh, again th- we're worthy I'm Ben I'm John thanks for listening
0: bring up crown to all broadway
1: Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to submissions at gmail.com. Again, that's submissions at gmail.com.